Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. All right, good morning, everyone. I hope you all are doing well. And man, we are going to have a great morning as it goes. We are in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7, 1 Samuel chapter 7. So if you've got a paper Bible, you can uh, go ahead and flip to there. Um, and uh, we're going to see what God has for us this morning. Um, uh, I'm going to give you a little background as well, to, since we're kind of just jumping right in, in the middle of a, a bigger story here. Uh, and, and we'll... We'll see what God's got for us this morning. All right, let's pray uh, and let's dive into his word. Um, Lord, we just thank you this morning uh, for all that you are and all that you do. Uh, Lord, we just pray to you right now with our hearts open and our minds open to you uh, to hear your word, to hear your lesson for us, to hear um, what uh, your word is going to speak to us. Lord, may we take that not just this morning, but take it forward with us in our days uh, to come. Uh, may we continue to uh, learn and lean towards you and not toward this world. Uh, Lord, I pray that this word be yours and not my own. I surrender myself to you right now, that this be your word and not mine. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen and amen. All right, let's go. Good morning. And I've got my water. <laughs> oh. On the tail end of the Daniel fast, here we go. All right, again, 1 Samuel chapter 7. Um, let me just dive right into it, and then uh, I'll give you some context uh, as we are. So uh, verse 1, so the men of Kirith-Jerim came to get the ark of the Lord. They took it to the hillside of Abinadad, uh, hillside home of Abinadad, and ordered Eleazar, his son, to be in charge of it. The ark remained in Kerioth Jim for a long time, 20 years in all. During that time, all Israel mourned because it seemed uh, the Lord had abandoned them. Verse 3, then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, if you want to return to the Lord with all your hearts, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth. Turn your hearts to the Lord and obey him alone. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites got rid of their images of Baal and Ashtoreth and worshiped only the Lord. Then Samuel told them, gather all of, your, <clears throat> all of Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah, and in a great ceremony, they drew water from a well and poured it out before the Lord. They also went without food all day and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. It was at Mespa that Samuel became Israel's judge. When the Philistine rulers heard that Israel had gathered at Mespa, they mobilized their army and advanced. The Israelites were badly frightened when they learned that the Philistines were approaching. Don't stop pleading with the Lord our God to save us from the Philistines. 
uh, they begged Samuel. So Samuel took a young lamb and offered it to the Lord as a burnt offering. He pleaded with the Lord to help Israel, and the Lord answered him. Just as Samuel was sacrificing a burnt offering, the Philistines arrived uh, to attack Israel. But the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day, and the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. The men of Israel chased them from Mespah to a place um, below Bethkar, slaughtering them all along the way. Samuel then took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mespah and Jeshana. He named it Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. For he said, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and didn't invade Israel again for some time. And throughout Samuel's lifetime, the Lord's powerful hand was raised against the Philistines. <clears throat> the Israelite villages near Ekron and Gath at the Philistine, uh, that the Philistines had captured were restored to Israel along with the rest of the territory that the Philistines had taken. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites in those days. Samuel continued as uh, Israel's judge for the rest of his life. Each year, he traveled around, setting up his court, uh, first at Bethel, then at Gilgad, and then at Mespah. And he judged the people of Israel at each of these places. Then he would return to his home at Ramah, and he would hear cases there too. And Samuel built an altar to the Lord at Ramah. The word of the Lord. All right. Woo! We are jumping into a bigger story here. Um, so if you if you want to or whatever, but back in uh, 1 Samuel 4 is basically where Israel is fighting up against the Philistines. And uh, surprisingly, actually, Israel loses. They lose about 4,000 men. And they're just like, how did we lose this battle? Oh, no. Let's take genius idea right let's take the ark of the covenant like a rabbit's foot or a lucky charm and let's take it into battle with us because surely we'll uh we'll make sure that we go um, we win that way if we take the ark of the covenant with us into battle um like a lucky rabbit's foot look god is not uh a genie in a bottle uh, God is not uh, a lucky rabbit's foot uh, or a lucky charm um, or anything of that nature, right? Because what do all of those things that I listed have in common? The focus is on me. The focus is on me. The genie in the bottle uh, is there to work for me. The lucky rabbit's foot is there to work for me. The lucky charm is to bring me luck. It's all about me. And of course, that doesn't pan out well. Um, the Philistines then completely uh, take over so much so that they actually capture the Ark. Then, of course, they take it home. It's getting passed around. It's not uh, it's destroying their idols. God is just uh, because they keep putting the Ark in front of their idol as a in a place of submission to the other God. And of course, our God is just bigger than anything else. Right. And of course, he crashes those idols and puts them in uh, in a submission position uh, on the feet in front of the ark, um, basically symbolizing like I'm greater than any other God you think you could worship. You're out of your mind. 
uh, they don't get it. They're out of their mind. Uh, then God ultimately sends um, boils or tumors uh, onto the people as a plague and everything. And the Philistines are like, we don't need this ark. This is this is just messing up our lives. <laughs> this is just messing up how we do business. Uh, we don't we don't need this um, this box that's ruining our lives. So let's get rid of it. But how do we do that? Um, and we don't want to touch it. So they they come up with this scheme because they get like their wizards and stuff. And they're like, oh, you need to give it an offering, uh, a guilt offering and send it on its way. And uh, they put the ark on a cart, put uh, two cows in front of the cart. And then they put golden rats <laughs> and golden tumors in a box and put it on the cart with there and and then these wizards say well if this was truly the lord that uh killed your that destroyed your idols and uh sent all of these tumors and everything uh to you guys then guess what um this cart will go down uh back to, back home this thing will go back home on its own and if it doesn't if it does nothing uh then all of this was just coincidence don't worry about it well, sure enough, they put it on the cart, they send it, they, whatever, just leave it alone. And the cows just take that thing right back home. Um, and that's where we're seeing that first it's at um, uh, Beth Shema or Beth Shemesh. And then uh, they send it from Beth Shemesh and it comes down as we read in the beginning. Uh, so the men of Kerat Jam came to get the Ark of the Lord. So the, we're, they're receiving the Ark back after a good amount of time that it was not home in Israel with uh, with it, their people. And so they're just like, ah, we don't have our ark. This was humiliating. What is going on? We're, we're ridiculous, right? And so it says, um, second part of verse two, during that time, all Israel, now this is the New, Live, New Living Translation, it said mourned. Um, but I think lament is the best word actually in here. Probably New King James says lament um, over uh, over this. Lament really means like we uh, sometimes it's translated as mourning. But the problem is, is that mourning realizes that you're you've lost something that's not going to come back. Right. We mourn when we lose a loved one. We mourn when we lose a loved one. Here they're lamenting. Lamenting truly means it's that you're in a broken sorrow and humble state, seeking after something to come back, to return. I'm lamenting for uh, you know somebody else. If if uh, <laughs> you you have a broken relationship, you could be lamenting for that person to come back into your life because that physically could happen, right? You, lamenting is, is this, I'm broken, I'm sorrowful, and I'm humble. Ultimately, most of the time it's used to say, I'm seeking after the Lord in a broken state. I, I need my God back. I feel like he's left me. Come back to me, God. That's what lament is. And so that's kind of where these people are at, um, because they have gone astray as well, right? This is right after Judges. Like we, if you read the book of Judges, you just see it's 
Uh, a judge rises up and holds Israel, and then they fall, and then they do whatever is good in the eyes of themselves, right? They they go and worship other gods, and they go do foolish things. <clears throat> the same things happened here. The Ark of the Covenant left. Um, Samuel's trying to be the prophet. He is the prophet, um, and even says so uh, that uh, back in 1 Samuel 3, verse 20, and all Israel from Dan to the north of uh, Beersheba uh, in the south knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. Uh, and so Sam, the name Samuel already carried a lot of weight uh, with, hey, this is a guy you got to listen to, uh, which was good at this time. So then in verse three, Samuel said uh, to all the people, if you want to return to the Lord with all your hearts. Not just partially your heart, not just a, hey, uh, it'd be nice if uh, if he came back around. It'd be nice if he uh, was here with us. No, it's like, uh, we need him. This is terrible. Uh, what is going on? We, we, with everything we have, we need our God back. Where is our Lord? We want to return to him. So we say, if you want to return to the Lord with all your hearts. Now, here's the thing. I love this wording because a lot of times we lamenting is saying we're seeking after the Lord because uh, we want him to come back to us as if he left us. And it, and it feels that way. And a lot of times you may read it where it says that it feels like he abandoned us. It's, and here it says, seemed the Lord had abandoned them. In our perspective, we always think that God has left me. God has abandoned me. God is not talking to me. God is not there. And I'm telling you that that's not true ever. God is always right there. The thing is, is our hearts have actually left him. Whenever it is that is, uh, we feel that he's left us, and because we're right here, I'm always in my head, I'm always in myself, I think that he's left me, but ultimately it's my heart and my mind have truly, have actually left him, have created the further separation from him. He's not gone anywhere, he's God. He's everywhere. And so we're the ones that have separated, that have done whatever our selfishness, right, Deb, or our sin or our pride, our pride, oh my gosh, our pride, um, or our just our fleshly desires have basically taken us away from him. And so this is why Samuel says, if you want to return to the Lord, because that's how it is. You have to return to the Lord, not the Lord returning to you. You're the one that stepped away. You're the one that uh, didn't really fully continue to follow him, but you followed your flesh. You return to the Lord. You must get rid of your foreign idols, uh, your foreign gods, and your images of Astra. Look at this. It's because, look, he's calling you out. Don't come whining to me saying, oh, God left me. And it's like, Dude, you're worshiping other gods. You're having, you're doing all sorts of sinful deeds. You're doing all this other stuff that you know you shouldn't be doing. 
Don't come woe is me back to me when you know you're all messed up. And oh, well, we'll, we'll just put that to the side. I don't need to talk about that. I just want to talk about how God's left me. And, and there's kind of this level of like, mm, no, you done messed up. You done stepped out. This is what's going on. Get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Astra. Now, who is Astra? All right. Um, we got Astra, and then also it says Baal. It says that in verse four, the Israelites got rid of their images of Baal and Astra and uh, worshiped only the Lord. All right. Astra is the goddess of sex and fertility. Baal is the god of uh, of the sun and creation, basically. Um so really, and there's like um, an older beliefs that, hey, guess what? Astra and Baal were actually like married uh, in, in how their folklore or whatever, that these two gods were like married. Um, and basically a way, uh, Astra would also be like, um, it's it's worshiping the female body, worshiping all of fertility, um, sex, women power, like all of that mm, um, stuff. And Baal is, of course, uh, creation. You're worshiping creation instead of the creator, right? You're worshiping all of the things that he created and not recognizing the creator of the creation, which just the more I say that, the more foolishness it sounds in my head to be like, I'm, you might as well, you're just, you're worshiping a rock instead of worshiping the one that made the rock. Like we're, it's, it's out of your, it's, it's lunacy, but whatever, we do it all the time. All right. We see this in the history of people and, but a form of worship, there's many forms of worship um, that were just detestable to the Lord. And one of them was uh, just through, through sex. It was just sexual orgies and all these kinds of things. It was just uh, it was debauchery, right? They were having all of this wild parties and everything to basically worship these gods um, as married couple gods and everything. And this is where God was saying, like, look, um, here it is in Isaiah 54, verse 5. He says, your maker is your husband. He's talking about God. God is your husband. Wow, what does that sound like? Wait, this is Old Testament. It says, your maker is your husband. Wait, God is your husband? That sounds very much like, wait, Jesus said, the church is my bride. I'm married to the church. Wait a minute. This is the same. Guess what? I, I, I love these people that just go, well, God sounds different in the New Testament. No, he doesn't. He just sounds more clear. He just sounds more clear. God's the same person. God's the same uh, personality and characteristics and everything in the Old Testament as the New. He's the same in the Old Testament as the New. The New just becomes more clear. And we see this right now that basically God's saying, get rid of all this because guess what you're doing? I'm your husband. You're cheating on me. You're having an affair on me. And to anybody that's ever been cheated on or had an affair on or, or, or left or anything of that nature, you know how that feels. And that's how God feels when we're worshiping other idols, when we put things before him, when we put things in front of him, we, we have things that, and we do things uh, in such a debaucherous way to worship other things instead of him first and foremost and only him, that we're having an affair on our God. 
We're cheating on him. We're the bride of Christ. We're saying, Jesus, I, I, something else is more important than you right now. And I think all of our married people on here realize, like, oh, my gosh, how would that make you feel if your partner said something else is more important than you? You know, like one of the things, um, I, like if I'm getting on to my kids about telling them not to do something and it's or they need to listen to their mother. Right. You hear all the time. Listen to your mom. Listen to your mom. Uh, well, a lot of times I'll sometimes say, uh, no, you're not going to do that, say that, or disobey my wife. You're not going to do that to my wife. You're not going to say that to my wife. I'll say that to them because I want them to understand that, guess what? My wife actually takes precedence over the kids. My wife comes number one before the the children. So it's God, my wife, and then the kids in that order. And this is this is how God is feeling. This is how this goes. And I also, hopefully, my wife's picking up on it that you're more important than the children. You came before the children. You are, you you and I are the you know, if you will, the earthly makers of the children. And of course, God had more hand in it than we did, but um, we had our part. And. It, it was it's just this idea of understanding the precedence and the order in which God is in our lives. He as we as the church are his bride and he is our husband, both as collective and individual. So this is what Samuel is trying to convey that you have stepped out on your husband. You have stepped out on your first love. You have stepped out on your God. Turn your hearts to God and obey him alone. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. And so the Israelites got rid of their images of Baal and Astra and worship only the Lord. This is unfortunately the cycle that we see a lot with Israel. We see this with people just in general, all throughout history is we find something else that we worship instead. That's more appeasing, more pleasing, and quite honestly, just easier or more desirable. And it's, it may seem great in the moment, but it falls short on the longevity of blessing. Our God is the God of longevity. Our God is the God of eternity. Our God is the God of all creation. And so we see that they turned to him, and our God is the God of grace. And our God is the God of mercy as well. And so then Samuel told them, gather all of Israel to Mesbah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered to Mesbah in a great ceremony and drew water from the well and poured it out before the Lord. They also went without food all day and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. 
They fasted right there all day, no food. I mean, instead of drinking it, they threw the water out, um, pouring it out before the Lord, you know, in honor of him being the source of an eternal spring, as we see so much a reference to that, even in the New Testament, of God being our eternal spring. And so they're fasting before him. They're, you know, so fasting can be used in so many different ways to hear, but also ultimately as a physical form of worship to say you're more important than even food itself, than even whatever it, I my body needs to just basically survive. We do not live on bread alone, but by every word of the breath of God. And so this is what they're doing. This is part of what fasting is all about as we're in our season of fasting. And I pray that God has um, has been answering prayers and has been clearly speaking to uh, many of us that, that have been going through this Daniel fast. Um, and quite literally, I wanted to show you, grab it right here, is... Uh, a couple couple weeks ago, I know I said, um, "Hey, I'm." I think it was towards the beginning of the fast. Uh, text below uh, any of your prayers, your bold prayers that you're praying for, and I've printed those out and I've had them in my office, praying over whatever it is you guys put in here for prayers. Um, I, of course, I'm not going to uh, divulge those on here, but. Um, I pray that God has been speaking to you. I pray that God has been uh, guiding you and showing you uh, exactly what it is. Um, maybe he's doing something even more miraculous than what you're even praying for or giving you wisdom and insight and direction into something in your life. And here I, we just see that Israel gets so much grace as they come back to the Lord, as they repent, basically, and ultimately, we talk about repenting as like just turning around, but we need to understand that it's not just a turn or a change, but it's deeper than that. It's a turn or a change of your mind, because it ultimately starts in our mind, right? We don't just wake up like a murderer does to wake up one day and just like murder somebody. It started in their mind, like I'm mad at somebody, I'm or I'm upset with something, or whatever it is, I'm going to do X crime, right? We start with something in our mind. We start thinking, you know, like, how did your relationship start, right? At first, you saw somebody, and you go, ooh, they're pretty. They're nice. They look good. It starts in your mind. Everything starts in your mind, and then it becomes action, and so this is why it's saying it must be a turn or a change in your mind, your mind must return to the Lord because then your actions will follow. This is why we are saved by faith and not works. Do you see that? You see that we're saved by faith and not works because it has to happen in your mind first. You have to have faith internally first. You have to have belief first, 
in God and saying, he is my God. He is my savior. Yes. And amen. I am following him in my mind first and your works will come from your faith. That's what true repentance does. It's the turning and changing of our mind. That's why we do so, to renew and refresh our mind towards God. So that we are, you're basically repenting over and over as we change our mind towards the Lord. That's the whole point. And they're changing their mind. They're coming to him. They're confessing to him. They're fasting before him. They're pouring water out before him. And then the Philistine rulers heard that Israel had gathered at Mizpah and they mobilized their army. And then this is where God proves to them what they're doing is good. Is that then the Philistines come in the and they're so scared. They're like, oh, my goodness, the bad guys are here and they've been kicking our butt for a while. And so what, what do we do? What do we do? And um, so here it is. They they're like, Samuel. Now, here's the deal. Samuel's great. He's the prophet. He's also their judge now uh, and all this. And but it. This is the thing I think we need to get out of is that always we want to look to somebody that in our minds is quote unquote more holy to pray to the Lord. Now, it's good. We pray for each other. That's goodness. Keep that up, right? I pray for you guys. We keep that up, right? A holy person, pray. there's goodness in a, a holy person praying for you. Um, that helps emphasize there's there's goodness there's theology with that there's also a level of guess what don't give up you praying though too don't be like oh pastor you pray for me and then you don't pray for your situation you just you leave that up to the pastor to pray for you you pray as well god wants to see you come to him god wants a relationship with you but they're about to fight. And so they're like, Samuel, we need you to pray for us. And so Samuel does. Samuel takes a young lamb, offers it to the Lord. And in the midst of the offering, in the midst of Samuel saying, Lord, I'm praying for you to have vengeance over the Philistines and deliver us from them. And he's praying and praying. And they're about to fight. And the men are getting I'm I'm sure that they were praying. I'm going to tell you, anybody who's been in the military and you're about to go into battle and something's about to happen, you praying right there. You may not get on your knees at the moment because you can't and because you got to hold your weapon and do all of that. But you praying in your head, <laughs> I'll tell you that. There's the old saying, there's no atheists in foxholes, all right? So you praying too, I'm sure that they were. But there's also a level of like, make sure that Yes, get others to pray for you, but make sure you're praying too. Make sure you're praying too. Uh, but the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day, and the Philistines were thrown into such confusion, and the Israelites defeated them. And it goes on that they chased them and they continued to defeat them on a bloody trail. And so um, our our God has so much mercy. I want you to say, like, look at what, what we were talking about. 
I want you to see this. I want you to look at what we were, ta- we were talking about. They were worshiping to Astra and Baal, these two gods um, and goddesses that uh, just in in debauchery of being a, of how they worship them uh, and how they went about it. And basically, as we talked about, they, they stepped out on God. They uh, they were having an affair on the Lord. But God said, if you return to me. Again, it's you returning to God. Look at this. The grace and the mercy and the faithfulness of our God to still defeat their enemies and give them favor because they came home. I want you to understand here that, yes, you may have messed up. You you may have been a Christian for a long time and still have done something that you may in your own mind have conceived as being so heinous or so terrible or so unforgivable. And I'm telling you, that can't be further from the truth. God is saying right now, whatever it is, maybe maybe you didn't do the fast and you feel bad about it. Maybe you you cheated on the fast or you just when whatever it is, maybe it's even something worse. Maybe something sinful is really going on in your life and you're having a hard time with it. Come to the Lord. His arms are wide open and his grace and his mercy are there for you. He's still faithful to hold you up and help you along the way and get you past whatever it is that's coming to attack you. Our God is just, but also faithful and merciful and gracious. And because of the power and the blood of Jesus on that cross. We get to come to him. We get to boldly say, I'm sorry, Lord. But I want to turn my mind back to you. And whatever is going on, that's the story here. And it's happened over and over. And guess what? If it's happened over and over in your life, keep coming back to the Lord. Keep coming back to the Lord, regardless of whatever it is. And we see that at the end, I want to, I love this little thing where uh, Samuel is then the judge and he's, you know, he's going around to Gilgad and the Mizpah and, uh, and Bethel and he's judging in all these places. And he goes home to Ramah. He goes home in the very last sentence, and Samuel built an altar to the Lord at Ramah, at his home. Where is your little place to be with God? Where is your little nook or cranny in the house? Maybe it's a table or a desk. Maybe it's the kitchen table in the morning before the kids got up. Maybe it's uh, in your office or maybe it's even in your car. Where is your little place to be with the Lord? Where's your little altar, if you will, 
and we don't sacrifice animals or any of that. PETA would come after us probably nowadays, but where's your, where's your little secret place for him? You know, and I think that there's even goodness when we designate this, this is my spot for you. This is, uh, some people have like a prayer closet, right? Where's your prayer closet? Where's your place for you to like, Lord, I'm coming to meet you right here, right now. Because I, I need to come to you right now. And so, and I'd say, if you don't have one of those specific places, yes, you can pray anywhere. Yes, you can come to God anywhere. You can open your Bible anywhere. But there's almost something special when you sit, when I say, Lord, I'm consecrating and designating this place for you as a ultimate as another ultimate form of worship of just saying this is your time and this is your spot for us and so i pray that the lord blesses you there i pray that the lord meets you there and speaks to you clearly and i pray that he gives you wisdom and discernment and understanding into whatever it is that you're facing and going into and I pray that we all have patience on him because it's his time, not ours. But let's pray and let's have a great day. Lord, we just thank you so much for your word. Lord, may we, uh, may we just come to you even more so. May we continue to turn every last bit of our minds towards you. Lord, even in the areas of our minds that maybe we have doubt, maybe we have uncertainty, maybe we, we, uh, we're we just not even sure, may, may we turn and relinquish those to you to help sort those out as well, so that we can turn all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our will, all of our soul to you. Lord, we just pray for your spirit right now. We pray for you to fill us up for our day, fill us up as we go forward, fill us up uh, as... Um, as we just accomplish the tasks we need to today um, at work, as parents, as brothers and sisters, as friends, Lord, just fill us up. Give us the words to speak. Give us wisdom and discernment right now. Lord, I just pray that I pray, just pray a blessing for everybody on this call and everybody listening further on. Lord, and we just pray and thank you for all that you do because of your grace and your mercy and for your son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen and amen. Y'all have a great, great morning. God bless and see you this Sunday for uh, week two of Connect Group signups. Uh, you won't want to miss it. If you haven't gotten to sign up for your group yet, um, come on out or reach out to me or anybody else and we can help link you up with the group you want to jump jump into a uh, little plug. I am doing that case for Christ uh, group. It is going to be great. So if you have some doubts, uh, we're here to cash those out and uh, we're going to be going through a lot of that uh, good stuff um, of all the evidences for Jesus on Tuesday nights. So um, other than that, God bless, take care and see you all later.